All right, so welcome to another edition of Bull in the Basement. I'm back in the basement. Uh, there was a time, and you'll see soon, where I went out of the basement to Buffalo Distilling, and that was an interesting process. And again, you'll see that shortly when we pop it up on the YouTube and the Spotify. But now we're back in the comforts of the basement, uh, joined by a, a gentleman who, honestly, we, we sort of worked together, kind of, and but we didn't we we crossed paths but didn't really know each other um, throughout the the short history of Bull in the Basement we've had let's see athletes and actresses and comedians and concert promoters and I'm forgetting what else but now we have an author uh, <laughs> who is a former Buffalo Bills executive uh, Don Purdy joins us here's the book it is Thunder Snow of Buffalo. The October Surprise Storm. And if anyone was here, and this is so appropriate, Don, that we're doing this now because it's our 15th. And I cannot believe it's 15 years since this happened. It was, what, Friday the 13th, 06. In fact, my wife and I were dating uh, when, when the storm hit. You have an incredible story. I have my story. But first of all, thanks for doing Bull in the Basement. I've read the book. It's fantastic. Uh, for people that are Western New Yorkers, they're going to be able to grab onto so many different little nuggets and bits and pieces and there's a lot of things that people don't know about the october surprise storm uh, in the book that's great um archway uh publishing right is is your publisher yep yep they are and um, you co you have a co-writer as well not not a not a ghost writer technically right oh uh, he's a legit co-author he happens to be uh i think he's, he's in florida now but um billy clune who funny enough um well was 14 years old when we started writing this book he was a neighbor a uh, neighbor friend of ours, he lived behind us. We he used to cut through our property to visit a uh, family he had, and we got to know him if, if we were outside, he'd hang out with us. And um, yeah, the year after the storm, he was doing just that, and we were sharing some stories about the storm. <clears throat> he had some good ones. I had a few from the Bills, and he kind of flippantly said, hey, let's maybe we should write a book. And, you know, he said, all right, let me get some stories from, from guys at the office and players and get what their thoughts were. And we ended up with maybe 30 pages or so. Really, really good stuff. Not enough for a book, but I thought if anything else, he's going to have a heck of a school project. Um, I can get into more how we resurrect, resurrected the project uh, last summer. But um, uh, yeah, at the time I thought, uh, yeah, you know, life happened and it just didn't materialize. But then um, last summer it, it kind of found its way back into a uh, our lives and he's now Billy's now a 28 year old mental therapist and uh, one of the smartest guys I know but um, literally you know from from starting it at 14 and finishing it at 28 with all that gap in between it's uh, not your typical um, book story I wouldn't think yeah no not at all and, and I listen uh, <clears throat> like I said we were you know, we never really formally worked together. We never really knew each other that well. We knew who, who I knew who you were, you, who you sure. knew who I was back around the time when the storm hit, when I was doing radio for the bills, you were working for the bills in the front office. Um, part of the book that I find really interesting is kind of like what you did and your relationship with the players and the money and the contracts and the workman's compensation stuff that you write about, which was really interesting that I never knew about. So mm -hmm. aside, like storm aside, the Bill stuff, Bill's Mafia fans are going to go crazy for the Bill stuff because it's really, really cool and really, really inside. And I got to say, the one part of the book that brought me to a really special warm place was when you talked about the, the charter and flying on it and what you had to go to, to get onto the plane and the TSA and the, the per diem envelopes and all of that and where some of the money went and how it was distributed and this, that, and the other thing. Really, really cool stuff because I remember it. 
I, I tell people stories of, of the charter and flying with the team and staying in the team hotel all the time. And that brought me back to a really cool place. So I appreciate that from a personal sure. perspective. Yeah, that's um, primarily how, how I knew you, Rich. You know, I would see your name on the manifesto. Rich is flying with us uh, this week. with him. And it was funny to me, this isn't in the book, but you're making me re remember uh, particularly when we would return from a game. And like for you, I knew you mainly from the radio. I uh, knew your voice, you know, and that was the case. I can go all the way back to Van Miller, uh, maybe talk about John Murphy and some others, Jeff Russo. And th their voices are so distinctive as knowing them from hearing them in their respective media. But then, uh, you know, if they're, if they're a row or two behind you and you're hearing those voices like yours um, in real life, so to speak, unfiltered, unscripted, you know, and you hear John Murphy say, man, I can't believe what a BS call that was in the third <laughs> quarter or, or anything. <laughs> Just like, oh, man, okay. He's, uh, and uh, it always cracked me up. Like, Wait a minute. That's, oh, yeah, it's, it's really him and really, and, and <laughs> talking, speaking freely, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are great times uh, for sure. Um, so, okay. And, and then thinking about this and hearing that you've written a book, I'm like, man, I never pictured Don to be an, an author. So you sort of got into the grassroots of how the book started. Um, so talk a little bit about how it went from your 30 pages to a almost 300 page book. And I got to right. say, I don't know if you journalized, but man, you have incredibly specific um, anecdotes from that week, which is really remarkable from the weekenders to your kids, to, to setting up that, 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 that Saturday flight that literally the day after the storm to get to Detroit for the bills to play that football game on Sunday. I mean, you had some really, really remarkably specific anecdotes. So tell me a little bit about how all of that was put together. Well, first of all, you're giving my memory way too much credit because, again, we did start the book in 2007 or 8. So I had a lot of notes, even if it was just an information dump. Like I think I talked about even remembering who I ate with in the meal room, whether it was Chris Brown and Greg Pastore. And as much as I like those guys, I can't honestly say if I was sitting here 15 years later, I would have remembered that I was eating, you know, at the meal table with them. But since I recorded those events, at least in a real rough draft, way back then, uh, it, it was easy to pull and to, to know we were accurate. And that's something that we were uh, really um, hung up on is the accuracy, because last thing you want to have is someone, the, the book features over 50 contributors. And the last thing I wanted was for a contributor to read what they gave us and the part that they were in it and be like, eh, that's not what happened. Me. And then it casts um, doubt on the rest of the book. So accuracy was very important to us, but um, it, so it helped to have the notes from the year before. Um, and then as, as far as it going from 30 to 300 pages, again, we had 50, 50 authors, uh, even though my story and Billy's story, they're kind of running narratives. I mean, we took the tree to the roof and um, our basement flooded. We were out without power for eight days. That happened to hundreds of thousands of people. Um, even though that's kind of home base in the book, coming back to that in those few days, I really look at, I mean, yes, I guess I, I am an author, you know, a rookie author at that, but to me, there are 50 authors and Billy and I, uh, one of the things that make the book unique is that we really um, composed their stories and tried to do it in a chronological way to have it flow. The, the um, publishers did a great job of uh, first of all, a little trick we had was anytime we introduced someone new, 
Um, we had their name in bold for the first time. So, okay, here's a new character, so to speak. Uh, I mean, they're real people, real stories. And second of all, we might have a different uh, font. And so uh, you'll know that that's their story. And then when it's over, you're coming back to the narrative. And the publishers did an excellent job of, of um, helping the reader be able to not be like, wait a minute, who's talking? Where are we now? I mean, the, so that was that was helpful as well. I, I would hope you uh, saw it that way. Yeah, I mean, so you have you have bold print, you have sort of italicized print for the actual stories that your 50 contributors uh, donated to the book. And so the contributors include people like the mayor, like the state police uh, captain that was sort of in charge of everything here in Western New York. You yeah. had meteorologists, you had Buffalo Bills players and staffers and how it was getting to and from the facility if they could or couldn't um, throughout the book. Really remarkable. And, and listen, everybody that lived through that day in Western New York has a story. We all do. It's really, and, and rarely do people forget, uh, albeit some people in Western New York, and this is part of the book too, didn't see the storm, right? They were either too far North or too far South. And we're like, and you, 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 you dedicate portions of the book to this, where you tell stories about people that were in Ellicottville, like, what are you talking about? There was a storm in Buffalo or they were in, uh, you know, NT or in Niagara County. What, what are you talking about? There's a storm in Buffalo and everybody's like crippled. What are you talking about? I got nothing yeah. here. I got green grass. Like you, you're a West Seneca guy. I live in Lancaster. And, and, and like we, we went through the, the, the knife storm, right? Uh, what was that? 13. I think it was where we uh, got five, six, seven feet of snow. 14, yeah. The 14? snow number, no, 2014 snow, right? Yeah, storm, exactly. Yeah. So we all went through that, but I'll never forget talking to my in-laws in Williamsville slash Clarence, they had sunny skies and grass. They were like, what are you talking about? You've got seven feet of snow. I'm like, yeah, it's weird. I know it's Buffalo. Like it's the lake. It's a system. It happens, right? It's the lake, that lake. Yeah. And that Canadian cold front. Uh, and just, it was, I mean, for the October storm, it was literally, and Don Paul helped frame this uh, for us. Uh, and Billy did a great job of looking it up historically that the last time there was a storm like this in October was 1906, exactly a hundred years earlier. And uh, it's funny to read the newspaper clippings. They're talking about telegrams and the trolley cars being uh, stopped, but uh, very well written, I got to say. But um, I had the privilege of being on uh, earlier this summer with Chris Brown and Steve Tasker. And Steve said the same thing. Like Chris lived in um, Lancaster and got pounded like you did. But Steve uh, lived in East Aurora, and he said he he had no idea. He, what, are, what are they talking about? He they were virtually they were untouched, and then he had to travel for CBS, so um, had no idea. It was just like it was it was in the zone or out of the zone, and uh, we we tried to to help readers understand that. There's a, there's a map in there too that uh, that does show the. Um, the red zone. Uh, I think Billy put a caption in there. It's good to be in the red zone in football, but, but, but not on a weather map. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, so again, you talked to meteorologists, you just mentioned Don Paul, but you talked to Aaron Mankowski and Chesley McNeil and Patrick Hammer, who wasn't here, but looked back and did some research about how the storm, and it's really incredible their breakdown where it comes down to like one or two degrees in the temperature department, right? That, 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 that determined whether or not it was going to be what it became, or it was just going to be like a rain event. Right. Oh, Crazy. that was remarkable to me. And again, I, I found myself so much of being, um, you know, learning to be an author, but I also was a student of, of weather. And I have, I have a moderate interest in weather. You kind of have to keep your eye on it around here in Western New York. But um, the, the going in so deep in the weeds that those meteorologists you just mentioned 
was fascinating because uh, they said, um, you know, in terms of the air pressure and one degree of temperature uh, would would affect the power of a uh, hundred or two hundred thousand people, and it, it's what happened. Um, it was just so on the edge of of being um, either so destructive or we could have missed it but it, it ended up being the most destructive the by multiple measures the most destructive storm uh, most damaging storm in, in buffalo's history yeah and i want to get back to that in a little bit because you dedicate an entire chapter to basically numbers right whether it's um you know cost or who was affected or uh, outages all that kind of stuff so i'll get to that in a second so i mentioned everybody's got a story right don purdy's out with us it's thunder snow of buffalo 15 years. That's the anniversary. It was Friday the 13th, 2006. It really kind of got the wheel started turning the night of the 12th, right? And then it kind of. Well, yeah. And and that was Thursday the 12th, even in the afternoon in in the city of Buffalo. And um, I remember I was on the phone with our workers' comp attorney, Roger Edel. And um, he's like, you would not believe it's, it's, you've got a blizzard going on here in the city. And I, again, we were at Norcher Park. It was still blue skies at that point. And I think I mentioned in the book, when a Buffalonian uses the word blizzard, you better take it seriously. And you could, from my window, uh, I tried to describe this, but you could see, looking due west, which is where my window faced, my office window, blue skies, but you just turn northward and there was a wall of the craziest colored clouds that just were they didn't look real at all and indeed inside what was happening in those clouds was um the city getting a head start on what turned out to be you know this 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 crazy storm it is and and for those of you that are watching this or listening to it that have never lived in western new york or spent you know any any significant time here it is something kind of cool even though Obviously, the October storm was devastating to be able to let's say you're in, you know, uh, North Buffalo, you're in Tonawanda, you're on the 190 and you're driving south towards downtown Buffalo. How many times have we driven that route? It doesn't matter what time of year. And you see a system coming in off the lake and you're saying, holy crap, (laughs) fill in the blank town is getting whacked right now. And it could be with rain, could be snow, could be any time of the year. But it is one super unique thing because of the way the, the lake is set up and the way it approaches Buffalo and Western New York. That yeah, you can see these incredible systems with that, as you described it, wall of clouds coming in, and and it's so unique. To, I don't think you can see that in very many places, um, even around the world, much less here in Western New York. So that's really really cool. So let's get to your story, which <laughs> was one of the worst I've read, to be honest with you, or heard, <laughs> based on what happened. So walk us through. Uh, what happened at your house in West Seneca? It was yeah. you and your wife and your kids. And, you know, this thing is kind of brewing and you're starting to hear things and see things and walk us through. it. Well, um, sure. You know, we, we were, I think I mentioned, <clears throat> I know I mentioned in the book that uh, my daughter had a soccer game in Hamburg. So we were watching, um, we were watching the, uh, whoops, um, you know, those clouds and wondering, you know, we were hearing from people what was happening inside the clouds and uh hearing that was going to come our way so it was in it got home and it started to snow a little bit uh we walked in the door and my daughter was still in her soccer uniform and i remember we took a picture of hey i'm, I'm shorts and my jersey here it is snowing a little bit but nothing the real stuff hadn't happened yet so um it was dark and and 11 o'clock i remember the the lights flickered a little bit and we're like oh uh, what's going on here and then um 
they, they went out uh, completely right at 11 o'clock, just when we really were going to watch the 11 o'clock news and find out what was going on. <clears throat> but um, at least here in West Seneca, that uh, we, we, we never found out. Um, well, we, we lived it. So and we, looking outside, you're like, holy cow, the, the, remember the landscape for as much as we could see, the branches, again, all the leaves were on the trees and um, the heavy, wet snow was pulling them down. So we tried to go to sleep, but uh, sure enough, all of a sudden those branches started to break and crack. And um, Kevin Sylvester uh, gave his account. He was in Lancaster like you. And he gave, it's on our website, thunderstowatbuffalo.com. He actually gave me a, a voice memo clip of his take of hearing those trees crack. He said he sounded like bones cracking, which is eerie. And my daughter thought they sounded like gunshots, but they would they would start with a low rumble, grow and grow and grow, and then combined with um, this weird blue lightning. And I remember there were players, Angela Crowell and some others, talking about seeing blue lightning. So he called his mom at 3 in the morning. He's like, I'm sorry, I know when you get a call at 3 a.m. or 2 a.m., it's it's – alarming but don't worry i'm just calling to tell you that i'm i'm in a, watching a storm right now that I, i've never seen anything like it in my life so um uh, i mentioned that our neighbor across the street um he's a buffalo city school teacher he he was we're all going through the same thing so he stepped out on his porch to have a, a smoke to kind of reconcile with what he was hearing with what he was seeing and just as he gets on his porch he's looking across the street at our house our transformer exploded so here is this so you have regular blue lightning but then you have transformers exploding and i think he was like wait a minute this is a cigarette i'm smoking <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know it, it, so that we almost my wife was so affected by the blue lightning that she wanted the title of the book to be thunderstone and blue lightning and we toyed around with it for a while but i ended up thinking i wanted buffalo to be in the title of the book quite simply for for searches right to, uh, and, and, and then Thunderstone of Buffalo, it kind of flowed, right? So it, it ended up really working, but we did make a title, um, a chapter title, Thundersnow and Blue Lightning. Um, and when we woke up, again, it was just devastation. We walked around like zombies, and but everyone just kind of had this un, unspoken understanding that we got to start, the, the, the leaves or branches and the entire trees in some cases were on the road, like no one's going anywhere until we pull these off and and then and, and no electrical power truck is coming this way if we don't get these off and there were there were live power lines like all intertwined in in the in the branches so that was our personal story that's that's how we woke up on friday the 13th and then i'm thinking again i i gotta I'm get to be with a team to go to detroit tomorrow right how is this going to play out and was that was a, a big part of your job was arranging that trip right so yes so that's um, you left out a big part, by the way. I uh, did I the the, the part that a an, an entire enormous tree fell through oh. your roof into your attic. <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, Rick, <laughs> well, I gotta say, listen, I I know when you got this book, and I gotta say, I am in, incredibly impressed with your your speed reading and the thoroughness you you've 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 referenced so many points of this book. Uh, your your retention is something. Uh, that's what I do. I'm a pro, man. This is that. I the, guess you know, so. <laughs> Never in doubt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a tree came right through. Uh, we didn't know it at the time, but it hit the roof, but it went in the attic and it literally shook the foundation of it's a we have a two story brick home. It's a fairly typical home for the area. But uh, I mean, it, it shook where we we thought 
some way somehow our our the, the the foundation of our house has been fractured somewhere and it turns out we never saw any actual evidence of that but the tree was in the house yeah and, that's, uh, and, and so you had to get your buddies the weekenders to come in and help you take it out and yada yada yada. that's all part of the books um yeah. but you suffered from that you suffered from flooding in the basement People yeah. couldn't get trans or not transformers generators because they just weren't available because everybody needed them. Um, so it, it's a it's an incredible. I mean, like I said, I mean, anybody that lived through this is going to read this and be like, "Oh my god, yes, 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 yes." Uh, well, it's you did. on the phone the other day. You you gave me a great story. Had I had I had that story, it would have been in the book. <laughs> uh, my story was pretty simple. I was uh, living in sin, I guess, with my girlfriend now wife at the time. And she and I were driving to an event we had at Buffalo Wild Wings on when it was on transit in uh, East Amherst back in the day. And we were on our way and the guy got really dark. This is probably four or five o'clock in the afternoon. Got really, really dark. And we're like, what is going on here? Then it started to snow. We're like, this is weird. And I made a couple phone calls and they said, well, it's the, the event's canceled. Now we were almost to uh, the bar restaurant at the time. So we're like, okay, we're out. Let's, let's go get a bite to eat or something. So we decide to go south on transit and everything is dark. All the power's out. We're seeing huge generators explode. The, the blue lightning, we're hearing and seeing the thunder snow. It was remarkable. But we found one place. There's a, there used to be a pizza hut across from Eastern Hills Mall that I don't believe is there anymore. In fact, I know it's not there anymore. Wow. So my husband and I are like, all right, we're hungry. This is all there is. Let's just go to Pizza Hut. Okay. So we go into Pizza Hut, and as we're sitting there and ordering, everybody's still kind of freaking out because nobody really knows what's happening. And uh, as we're sitting there, and and I don't know if we got the, the, the you know, the salad bar and wh whatever we got, the lights are flickering, and we're like, oh, this is spooky. What's going to happen? Eventually, we get out of there. Then we have to go back to Tonawanda, where at the time we lived. And yeah, we're going past, I mean, we, lots of impassable major roads. Maple, I believe we went down Maple. I mean, trees down, power lines down. And I'm like, can we drive over these? I don't know. And you, you actually <laughs> shared a story, I believe, of one of your front office workers having to drive over um, uh, like live power lines, some yeah. of which that were on fire. I think you <laughs> were on fire. She said, yeah, she, there was, it was still dark at the time, six o'clock in the morning when she was, she's the administrative assistant to the head coach and uh, GM. So it would have been um, Marvin Dick Duran at the time, which is in there. But two cars ahead of her stopped and she didn't know why. And they, they were like the only two cars on the road. And then all of a sudden they accelerated real fast. And then it was her turn and she saw like why they stopped. There were electrical wires in the road that were on fire. And she's like, well, they did it. She said a quick prayer and she's put, hit the <laughs> gas pedal, got through it. And that was part of her adventure getting to the office. <laughs> um, so we know, and now I'm going to get to that chapter on, on the numbers. Um, it was incredibly expensive. Um, it was incredibly devastating to trees, which I'm going to spend some time with as well, because I know the gentleman who started the group that we're going to talk about. I used to oh, work good, with him. Um, uh, and, and obviously, you know, uh, traffic and injuries, and there's a whole chapter, like I said, dedicated just to numbers, even the meteorology of it, right? Mm -hmm. there, there is. And uh, I think I, we preface that chapter by saying, unless you're talking to an accountant uh, or some statistical uh, um, 
wizard yeah. analytics person, yeah. you know, you're going to lose them pretty fast. So it's actually the shortest chapter in the book, but it, the numbers are too uh, unbelievable to, to not include. I got to say, um, and we referenced anything, Billy Clune did an amazing job of making sure that any numbers, any facts were, were referenced um, uh, on the footnotes in microscopic print, but they're there. Um, that the the state of New York did a really really uh, thorough report that we I would say almost two thirds of our numbers came from that report, and it was online. And um, so the the number of uh, transformers that that blew the number of um, uh, hotel rooms needed for for the uh, five hundred plus trucks that came from all over the country, mostly the Northeast, to help uh, Buffalo's tech electricians uh, help restore the area. Um, th they are mind-boggling numbers. I don't have them exactly in front of me, but so uh, I have to get the book. Yeah, of course, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no pop quiz, but right. uh, you'll you'll just you'll you'll read it and think, holy cow, this is, like you just mentioned, they are uh, mind-blowing. There, there are 55,000 um, trees <clears throat> that were that were lost, and, and get ahead of ourselves here with the Paul Maurer, the gentleman who uh, restored them all. But um, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're in there, and they, they serve a purpose, and they, uh, they kind of um, wrap things up in a bow a little bit in terms of, in case you, in case you think that all these uh, stories that you just read were just purely anecdotal. No, they're, they're backed up by numbers that uh, are mind-blowing. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> so por a portion of the proceeds of the book sales go to two different places. Uh, Marv's charity, because Marv wrote the foreword for the book, which is super cool that, that you were able to have him do that. And then yeah. the other uh, one is Retree Western New York, which Paul Maurer, who I worked for a very long time in radio with, in radio sales with, uh, started up Retree Western New York, who's main and sole purpose really was to replace all of those 55,000 trees that were lost in the October storm. Uh, an incredible movement, an incredible number of trees that were replaced. And I, I love the part in the book because I didn't know this until I read the book that the trees primarily that were planted to replace the ones lost were mostly, if not all local, right? Yeah. 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 There was, um, uh, two nurseries, one in Springville, one in Orchard Park, I believe. Uh, they're both mentioned by name in the book. Uh, but first of all, going back to Paul Maurer, I can't imagine this book without him because uh, he really, he and Therese Fortin Barnes with her carvings for a cause, what she did with the the uh, the, the damaged trees and what she turned them into these statues well, uh, was amazing. But what Paul did um, was basically gave the book um, the good feeling of the recovery. I mean, he, uh, the city had to recover. The city did a very good job. Local municipalities did a good job. Individuals did. But I mean, he took it upon himself um, to form this charity. And and he had a, a true understanding of what the trees meant, particularly in the city of, of Buffalo and how they helped beautify the landscape. And he said, this is going to be a long haul. But he goes, I know there are, are so many like-minded people out there he goes, I'm, I'm going to um, uh, make a pitch. I, I'm, I'm going to have some local help, you know, with the Buffalo News and other organizations and radio stations and get the word out there that, hey, let, let's let's get together and try to uh, restore all these trees that were damaged. I mean, um, Therese Fortin Barnes and her story again about the, the statues, she, we did a, a Zoom call with her that night. 
and uh, or or we did a Zoom call with her. I'm sorry, last I think it was last December, um, and she talked about the storm, and she she broke into tears right on the. Uh, just thinking about how, how much the, the trees meant to her. She was near Soldier Circle downtown. And um, so Paul said just he was blown away, as you'll read, by the number of volunteers. There were times where he had too many and he had to turn some away. He said, but don't don't go too far. There's going to be another uh, tree planting coming up and I want you to be part of it. Uh, and he's still doing it to this day. And and uh, I can't again, I can't imagine the book without him. Um, yes, part of the proceeds will, will go to him. And uh, he actually is looking to maybe do another tree planting uh, this coming November. All these years later, he's still looking to, to do more because there's still trees that haven't yet been replaced from all those 15 years That's ago. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was in this and this epitomizes Buffalo, right? It was a, a horrible civic situation out of which led to incredible community support. I mean, that's what this town is all about and always has been. Uh, and and I think Retree Rest in New York was a good example of that. And, you know, you mentioned Olmstead Parks and and how Frederick Law Olmstead, you know, he, he said Buffalo was a, the best designed park-like <clears throat> city, like in the entire country. Yeah, uh, in the and, country, yeah. Uh, again, Billy Clune, uh, co-author, um, will insert so many it's so i love hearing you say that rich because like he works so hard at inserting um relevant pertinent historical facts without spending too much time on them but just enough to give support uh to help readers understand um you know a little a little just enough history uh behind uh, certain parts of, of the city so uh yeah that's great and and again <laughs> This is what I love about doing what I'm doing with this this podcast is that for people that are watching this, the, who's Frederick Law Olmsted? I, 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 look it up. Look it up. He's the guy that designed Central Park in New York City. He's the guy, if I'm not mistaken, I think was responsible for like Yosemite and like some of the other incredible uh, parks around the country. And he is responsible for Delaware Park and that entire area around Forest Lawn and all of that in, in Center City, Buffalo. A big reason why uh, the Pan American Exposition in 1901 was able to come here because of that park like setting. So, yeah, if you don't know who Frederick Law Olmsted is, absolutely look it up and see how he affected and what he means to, to Buffalo City proper, it's really pretty incredible. Um, you mentioned Therese Fortin Barnes and the tree carving. So not all the trees that were lost were ground and made into pulp or mulch. Some were made into statues of really famous people, uh, some of which you yes. probably have seen at places like the Big Tree or you name it. They're all over, all over Western New York. Uh, but she sort of drove that movement. And I must say, the Thurman Thomas story about the carved tree to look like Thurman and I'm not going to get into too much detail but it was unveiled at a Bills game mm -hmm. the Bills game <laughs> happened they come back the, the the Thurman Thomas tree statue's gone just get into the book and read the story if you haven't heard it it's, it, it's sort of um folklore in western New York true story but it's remarkable where this Thurman Thomas tree carving ended up and how it was gotten back. So anyway, read that in the book. I and love it. You, you just teed that up. Teed and uh, Teresa goes by T for, for those of us that really know her. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I just got to know her this past year, but that's funny. But you, you, you just teed that story up perfectly where, uh, yeah, when they do read it uh, as per your intro, they will not be disappointed. It is 
It is remarkable. It's and unbelievable. It is totally <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, I, it, it's 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 about two thirds, three quarters of the way through the book. Anyway, uh, the book is is really great. It's really interesting. It's a lot of background. Um, you know, like like I said, Bill's Mafia. Holy cow! Just read this for like the your your couple of chapters, sort of dedicated to what you did and your relationship with the players and how you kind of had to deal with them and what they had to deal with and what you you guys as an organization had to deal with. And of course, their accounts as well. I mean, you talk about Fitz, you talk about, you know, guys like Brian Mormon and George Wilson back in the day, uh, Ryan Lindell with, you know, they share some of the stories too. And, and what you did is way above my pay grade, but still <laughs> super interesting. Oh, um, I appreciate that, boy. And, uh, you know, those guys that you just mentioned, um, I've gotten great feedback from them. They, they just said uh, it took them back to that time. And uh, they remembered the stories, uh, some really funny stories. I sent Fitz one just recently. And unfortunately, I know he's going to have some time to to, to read. Now he's uh, on IR. But uh, I told him that get back in the field. But while you're rehabbing, Here's some good reading material. He'll, he'll remember those stories. Uh, I'm sure he, boy, as fast as a reader as you are. Could you imagine how fast a reader he must be? But No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, but I think one of the best, um, most fulfilling interviews we had with the player was with uh, Kevin Everett. And I hadn't, I hadn't uh, talked to him in a long time. We were Facebook friends. But uh, for those that remember his tragic, life-threatening in, uh, injury, his paralysis um, opening day 2007, uh, so we did a Zoom call with him. He was in Houston. I and I in the book I mentioned how I had to handle his uh, medical claims and bills, which there had never been anything like it. But Mr. Wilson was like, "Don't hold back a dime. Just um, whatever he needs." But Kevin really enjoyed talking with us. And at some point, I'm going to put that um, interview on our our website. Um, but he really, Billy and I went into it. And I said, Billy, let's not. As, even though it's the elephant in the room, let's, let's not have us bring up his injury. If he brings it up, fine. We can talk more about it. Um, and and he did. He brought it up right away. It just and but he talked. He had to bring it up. But Kevin had a uh, you could tell a really um, enjoyable time talking about his Bills career, other than his injury, and including driving into winter for the first time um, when he the year before. And he didn't really, he's a Miami guy and he was gripping the wheel too tight and came, he said, centimeters from uh, uh, hitting the, the rail coming down the Skyway and Roscoe Parrish. That story uh -huh. is great. The Roscoe Parrish story <laughs> is phenomenal. You got it. You have to read that. That's really yeah. funny. He was terrified. He called Kevin like, ha, ah, and then the, 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 the adventure begins, which is documented in here. But uh, that, that was, that was, um, uh, I said. A really fulfilling uh, conversation. I had a lot of them, but uh, that was one that really stands out. I would say. And and Kevin's doing really well for himself. Yeah. Just if, if people wondered, um, yeah. The 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 poker in the back of, of the charter plane. Very funny story with the Bills. Um, it's 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 a really great book, and it kind of encompasses everything uh, from you know average Joe stories in your neighborhood to the Bills players, to Bills ownership, to, like I mentioned, uh, people in, in the, you know, state police, to local government figures, uh, all kind of telling how they all had to deal with it in their particular ways. Um, well, the police, uh, Mike Negrelli was that police captain. Yeah. And um, in, in case you don't know him personally, you would recognize him because he was one of the police officers that we took on the road um, often. Uh, fortunately, he didn't have to do it that weekend, but you would, you would remember him, sure, uh, Mike. Mike, and uh, yeah, he gave he gave us uh, 
an excellent per personal and professional account. And that's something I so appreciate about a lot of the contributions we got from those like you know, Tim Wenger and, and others um, in the business that talked about what they were doing that night um, personally, whether it's out to dinner with their wives and like, like you, and then having to shift gears and totally unexpectedly kick into professional mode and, um, and deal with this and, you know, meteorologists and who just couldn't have imagined that morning that their days would turn out that way and have to shift gears like that. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. And then you actually document the Bills game, getting there, the game itself, getting home, you almost getting killed by Ryan Lindell footballs. Um, <laughs> it's uh, and the Bills, unfortunately, and, and yeah, I mean, granted, they were all probably incredibly distracted. They lost that game, unfortunately. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, you could probably understand it. And, and you bring it up well in the book about that particular game on the 14th of October. Uh, no, it would have been the 15th of October. I beg your pardon. Um, in Detroit when they in 2006 that um you know there was nobody there had any idea what the bills organization had gone through in the previous 36 hours they had no clue that their lives were turned upside down before they played that football game i thought that was really pretty interesting in your storytelling um again it's thunder snow of buffalo the october surprise storm don purdy billy clune marv levy with the forward it's 15 years since the october storm hit uh, this is a really great read for Buffalonians, Western New Yorkers, Bills fan. It's super cool. Dude, thanks for doing this, man. I really hope the uh, the book continues to take off and has great successes. And um, don't be a stranger, all right? I appreciate it, Paul. This has been very enjoyable. Um, great to, to hear about your podcasts. And uh, I'm going to catch up on more of them. And um, yeah, I really, the way you frame things here with, with the book, uh, you make me want to read it again. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, if, yeah. I, if I could sell the author on a book, that's pretty good. I've done my job. I've done my job. Very, Don, thank very you, well. Man. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thanks. Great, great being with you. Thanks.